leading us into the presence of God through praise and worship. The Bible says that the Lord inhabits the praise of his people, man. And I don't know about you, but this morning I've experienced the presence and power of God as we've sang praise unto him. How do you believe this morning he's worthy? He's worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. Listen, folks, he loves you today. Do you know that? If you don't hear one more thing from this service, I want you to remember what we just sang about. He loves you with an unconditional, everlasting love. Whoever you are, wherever you've done, wherever you've been, Jesus loves you this morning. And I'm so thankful for that truth. Ellie Grace, thank you, baby, for, um, for singing that song. Y'all know she got that from her daddy, don't you? Just yesterday, me and her spent the day um, uh, redoing a room. That's what she wanted to do for her birthday. We spent the day uh, scraping wallpaper yesterday. She's gotten too old and too big for princess wallpaper. And so that which kind of breaks my heart. So she was wanting that wallpaper took down. And we did that all day yesterday. Now while we were doing that, um, Frozen was play playing in the black background the whole time. And yesterday... We had a contest on who could sing Let It Go Better. And I'm almost positive I got her in her bedroom. I don't know that I could sing that song like she sang it this morning, but yesterday I know I won that contest. There's no doubt about it. Luke chapter number 18 is what I want to look at this morning. I want you to, I want to share with you this morning one of the most powerful parables I believe Jesus ever spoke. Now, why do I believe this is so powerful? Because really for two reasons this morning, maybe more, but at least these two reasons. First of all, what we have here in Luke chapter number 18 is God incarnate in the flesh. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ. The word of God made flesh, and now this living word is speaking the written word. The written word that now ministers to us in our day-to-day -day living. This is the word of God. Can you say amen? If one thing that we've been doing, and we started last Wednesday night, it is um, looking through the Word of God at evidences that it's exactly that. That what we have in the 66 pages of our Bible is God's absolute truth. His divinely inspired Word. And I can tell you now, I've been a serious student of the Word of God for about 23 years. And I believe it now more than ever that this is God's Word. And I'll promise you this. I'll make you a challenge. I will challenge you if you will become a serious student of the Word of God and look at the truth you find on the pages of Scripture, I can promise you it will strengthen your faith in it as well. It will. This is all God's Word. From Genesis to Revelation. But it's especially powerful, I believe, when you have Jesus, the living Word, speaking the written Word that is now making a difference in my life and in your life. Jesus, God the Son, the Son of God, speaks to us here this great truth about how we, and listen, it'll change our lives that we're living now, and it will change our eternity if we will apply it unto ourselves. It's amazing. Now, the second reason this is so powerful is that Jesus tells us a story of two men. 
The title of my message today is A Tale of Two Men, and that's what Jesus gives us right here in Luke chapter number 18. Now, these men are very different, but I can promise you this. If you look hard enough and you're honest with yourself, you will find yourself in one of these two men. As a matter of fact, you may find yourself in both of these men to some degree. And that's, that's the whole purpose. Because listen, this is a living word that is relevant for your life. And it's relevant for my life. That's the whole purpose of the parable that Jesus spoke. So let's take a look at it. The tale of two men that Jesus gives in Luke chapter number 18. We'll start there in verse number 9. And I'm going to read down through uh, about verse number 14. So Luke 18, verse number 9. And he, meaning Jesus, spake this parable unto uh, certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Everybody say despised others. Keep that in mind, underline it in your Bible. We'll come back and look at it in just a moment. But look at verse number 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners and unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now watch. I tell you, that man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. If you believe the word of God, say amen. Let's pray again together. Father, again, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. And we're asking for the blessing of your word to be preached to your people today. Lord, not by my power, but through yours. Holy Spirit, fill me up. Use me. Pour me out in the lives of these people. And for these things, we're going to praise you for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and for your sake. Amen. There's four main points that I want to give you here from Luke chapter number 18. First of all, I want you to see two different men. Then we're going to see two desiring men. Then we're going to see one deluded man. Then we're going to see one desperate man. Let's look first of all at the two different men. Jesus gives them two names starting in verses 9 and 10. The Bible says, And he spake this parable unto such which were trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up in the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Now Jesus gives them these two names, and really they're not... Uh, names, but actually they're titles. But when Jesus gives us the titles of these two men, it tells us exactly who they are. He says that one of them is a Pharisee. So let's look at the Pharisee. What did it mean in that day to be a Pharisee? What does it mean today to be a Pharisee? There were many different religious sects among the Jews about the time that Jesus was walking the earth throughout his earthly ministry. There were several different. The Pharisees, you had that religious sect. You had the Sadducees. The Sadducees were those who uh, chose not to believe in the supernatural work of God. They thought everything happened in the physical, that there was no supernatural working. Dr. J. Vernon McGee says that they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe God could do what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. I like that. 
the Sadducees. Then you had what was called the Herodians. The Herodians in that day were those Jews who actually followed Herod as king. Then you had what's called the Zealots. The Zealots were those who were, who were very rebellious toward the Roman Empire. In that time, Rome, the empire that ruled the world, also ruled there in Jerusalem and in Judea, the land of the Jews. And so uh, the Zealots were those who wanted to overthrow the Roman Empire. There were many different groups. So what about the Pharisees? Because that's the one Jesus gives us. What's he saying there? Well, the Pharisees was the most strict religious sect of the Jews at that time. I mean, very strict. The Pharisee believed that it was by his self-righteous works he was made right with God and accepted into the kingdom of God. Now, what the Pharisees believed then is certainly not a lot different than what a lot of people who call themselves Baptists believe today. It's really not. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Listen to me, folks. When I was just a little boy... I heard a Sunday school teacher say something to me, and I've heard it since then, not just from Sunday school teachers, but from preachers and people on TV and all kinds of different folks, folks sharing what they believe makes us right with God. But this Sunday school teacher, I'll never forget her, this little boy, and she said, good little boys go to heaven and bad little boys go to hell. I'll never forget that. Now, let me tell you what she was implying. I, I'm going I'm to try my best to show some grace and extend some grace her way. Me and my brothers were in her Sunday school class. And it's very possible that she was trying to scare three birds straight, you know. Because there were some mean little boys in there. I can attest to that. But really what she was implying is that it is by what you do that you gain access into the kingdom of God. That's what she was saying. As you pile up the good works. And now I've heard people say the same thing, whether it be preaching a message or teaching a class or, 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 or listen, even in songs that people sing. Now, let, let me tell you this. They believe that somehow, some way, when we one day stand before God who is completely holy and perfect, that everything you've done right or good, as far as you see it, is going to be on one side of the scale. And everything that you've done wrong, as far as you see it, is going to be on the other side of the scale. And people actually believe that if your good somehow outweighs your bad, that God's going to let you into his kingdom. They're just like the Pharisee. They've got a self-righteous religious attitude and they think it's by what they do they are made right with God. But there's a very, very big problem with that. The Word of God. Isaiah 64 and 6, let me give you a verse there. And this is one of my favorite. Look what it says there. Isaiah 64, verse number 6. But we are all as what? Let me ask you something. What does all mean? I heard, um, um, uh, I think it was J. Vernon McGee as well. He said all in the Greek means all, all in the Hebrew means all, all in English means, it just means all. He says every single one of us are as an unclean thing. Me, you, and everybody else. I don't care if you're standing in the pulpit or you're sitting in the pew, every one of us stand in need of a Savior. Now watch. 
and all our righteousnesses. That's the good things that we perceive we do. All the good things we do are as filthy rags and we do all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Let me tell you what Isaiah said. That when you take all the good things you do and you put them up next to God's perfect, holy, righteous standard of his word, that those good things you do are just like a pile of filthy rags. I've done some study on the filthy rags that was talked about right there. Do you know what that means? He's talking about the pus field rags that covered the arms of a leper. As leprosy began to take over a person's body, these boils would come up all over their skin. And then the infection would leak from these boils. And so what they would do would take rags and wrap up where the infected person had these places oozing from their skin. And the filthy rags that he's talking about is just that there in Isaiah 64 and 6. So what God is saying is that the good you do is not enough. It's not. We're never going to measure up to God's standard in our own self-righteousness. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, He said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Does that create for you a problem? Let me ask you something, children, all children here. If we've got any perfect parents, raise your hand. Let me ask you something, parents. Do we have any perfect children? Y'all lying. Y'all, y'all's kids, listen to me. Y'all's kids just like my kids. They all kids. They all kids. And they're going to do some wrong things. None of them are perfect. Let me ask you this. Do we have any perfect husbands, wives? Do we have any perfect wives, husbands? Got any perfect pastors? Any perfect people in the pew? None of us are perfect, are we? But God's standard is perfection. So what is Jesus saying? He's letting them know and us know we've got a problem. We need grace. We need some help. We're never going to measure up to God's standard. Let me see if I can illustrate this for you. I remember when I was, I don't know, 15, 16 years old, I got into basketball. Now, now please don't misunderstand me. I didn't say I was any good at basketball. I, I never was. I was never coordinated enough to, to really play basketball like it needed to be played. Uh, but I loved to play with my friends. And we'd always go during the summer and after school over to the rec center in Hamilton. And we'd play all day long playing basketball. And a goal that I had way back then was to dunk a ball. Y'all, have you ever read the, uh, or watched the movie? It's actually the, uh, it's my life story. It's based on me. White men can't jump. Have you ever... Now, I had, some good, I had a good mom and daddy, and mom and daddy always told me, son, if you work hard enough, you can do anything. They were wrong. Because <laughs> I worked really hard at dunking that basketball. I wanted to do that. It looked so cool to see those guys dunking that ball, you know. I saw on the 
NBA slam dunk competition. Spud Webb at 5'8 was in there just tearing a rim off. And I thought, well, Spud Webb can do it. I can do it. I was wrong. <laughs> can't do it. And I worked hard at it, but I'm, I never was able to dunk a basketball. Then one day, me and my buddies were all playing out there at the rec center. And somebody from the back room brought in a little bitty trampoline. You know what I'm talking about? One of them workout trampolines about three, four foot around. And before it was said and done, I was dunking that basketball from the free throw line. <laughs> I'd come running down that court, man, bounce on that trampoline. Hey, Tomahawk Duncan from the free throw line. But I couldn't do it myself. The standard was just much too high. My power, my ability was not enough. But when I got the help of a little grace, that trampoline, I was able to meet the standard required. Now listen to me. God knew we couldn't make ourselves right with him because he's perfect, holy, righteous, and just. His standard is perfection. We are born into sin. We're sinners by nature. Listen to me now. We're sinners in action, and we're sinners in attitude. Your thoughts alone are enough to send you to hell, and my thoughts alone are enough to send me to hell. I've told you before, I'm going to keep telling you, if I could take all of your thoughts and put them up on that screen, I'd have a whole lot more to preach about next Sunday. If I were to take my thoughts sometime and throw it up on that screen as an imperfect human being, you wouldn't let me preach next Sunday. Why? Because our thoughts alone condemn us. We're sinners in nature, by nature. We're sinners in action. We're sinners in attitude. We are just sinners who will never measure up to God's perfect standard in our own power and ability. It's not through our self-righteous works, but it's by the grace of God through faith in Jesus that we are saved. We need Jesus. We need a Savior. The good news is he came to save us. You know what Jesus said? I didn't come for the well. I came for the sick. I didn't come for those who believe themselves to be righteous. I came for the sinner who knows they need salvation. He was born perfect so that he might live perfect. He lived the life I couldn't live and then died my death on the cross, taking my punishment for my sin. And he said, you know what? Now I'll forgive your sin. I'll take your death and give you my eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever what? Trusts in him, believes in him and his finished work. They can be born again and made right with God. Listen. Trust in Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and life. But the Pharisee didn't do that. Matter of fact, they always argued with Jesus while he was here. They thought they were right, right and he is wrong. He's out there doing things only God can do, healing blind people, causing deaf people to hear, raising up dead people. Listen to me now. Walking on water. Listen, touching fig trees and causing them to wither. Jesus is calming storms in the heavens. And these people think they know better than he knows. He's doing what only God can do because he was God incarnate in the flesh and they chose to trust their way instead of his. That's the Pharisee. But now listen. The Pharisee was well respected among the people. 
very religious, very pious. They didn't just come to church one day a week. They went to church seven days a week. They were in the temple every day. The Pharisee, a requirement to be a Pharisee, was that you had to memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. They knew the word of God. They went to church. They put on the right clothes, and listen to me now, rubbed elbows with the right people, and they were respected and very high on the social ladder. That's the Pharisee. Then you have who Jesus called the publican. Well, who's that? The title tells us who he is. The publican was a tax collector. He was actually a Jew who was working for the conquering Roman Empire. Now listen to me. Very hated man. Not well respected at all. Not respected any. Let me tell you why. The Jews hated him because the publican was a Jew working for the conquering Romans. The Romans hated the publican because he was a Jew. He was really a man without a country, a man without a people. He was hated and despised, and I'm going to tell you just like my grandpa used to say, he was lower in a snake's belly in a wagon wheel track. That's pretty low, isn't it? That's the publican. Two Different men, but they were two men that was desiring something. Two desiring men. What do I mean by that? Well, look there at verse number 10. Watch what it says. Luke 18, 10. Two men went up in the temple for what? To pray. The one of Pharisee and the other. They, they wanted to speak to the Lord. Now, I've got some fantastic news for you. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're more on the side of the Pharisee or you're more on the side of the publican. I don't care if you look and see yourself in both situations, both men. I, listen, God has his ear open to those who call upon him. He does. Let me prove it to you. Psalm, I love this. David says it, Psalm 66, verses 17 through 20. Brothers, if you will, please put this on the screen for me. Psalm 66, 17 uh, and through verse number 20. I cried unto him with my mouth, David said, and he was extolled with my tongue. He heard me. He, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. He said, I called unto the Lord and he heard me, but if I had regarded iniquity in my heart, if I wanted to remain in my sin, if I wanted to keep doing my own thing and going my own way, the Lord would choose not to hear me but he did hear me because that ain't what I wanted to do look at the next verse verse number 19 but verily God hath heard me he hath attended to the voice of my prayer verse number 20 blessed be God which hath not turned away my prayer nor his mercy from me how many y'all thankful for mercy Whew. you know what David is saying when I got serious with God, when I was ready to get the sin out of my life and get serious with God, God was right there ready to get serious with me. The same is true for you and I. I can promise you right here this morning, if you'll get serious with the God of heaven, he'll get serious with you. He'll hear you. He'll listen. He's ready to listen. Look what else, let me give you another verse, another really good verse. Isaiah 65, verse number 24. Watch this right here. Isaiah 65, brothers, verse number 24. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, watch this now, I'll hear you. 
God's listening for your prayer. God's listening to your heart. I'm telling you this. God's telephone number, Jeremiah 33 and verse number 3. I love this verse. Jeremiah 33, verse number 3. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Let me give you another one. Jesus said, Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. Some of you right here this morning are still wondering why you're not content. Deep down on the inside you know there's something missing. Let me tell you what it is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says if you'll seek you'll find. Listen, if you'll ask you'll receive. And if you'll knock the door will be opened. Two men were desiring something. Two different men. There was one deluded man. Point number three. Look with me in verse number 12 there. Of Luke 18, excuse me, verse number 11. First of all, this Pharisee was the, the deluded man. He was the man who wouldn't think in straight, wouldn't think in right. He was deluded about prayer. Listen to what he says. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Now the reason this Pharisee is praying is to make himself look good there in the temple. And I can tell it by how he prays. Watch what he says. God, I thank thee that I'm not as the other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. My goodness. It's almost like this Pharisee thinks God has done, that he has done God a great favor by coming to pray. I ain't like everybody else. I'm a cut above everybody else. He was deluded, thinking wrongly about prayer, because he had a wrong view of himself and a wrong view of God. Can you say amen? Matter of fact, Jesus said something about the Pharisees in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 5. Brother, put that on the screen for me. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. These Pharisees were so prideful, so arrogant, so self-righteous, so wanted to be seen as something they wouldn't in the eyes of everybody else. They would actually blow a horn when they got ready to pray so that everybody could hear them praying in the street. And they'd stand up in the service and pray so that everybody can hear the, the long uh, prayer that they were praying. Jesus said, don't be like that. These are the same people, Jesus said, were like whitewashed tombs. They look real good on the outside, but they're full of dead men's bones. The Pharisee, the self-righteous. He was deluded about prayer, but let me tell you something else. He was deluded about God's plan. Again, he thought it was what he did or didn't do that made him right with God. I know I can tell it by his prayer. Go back to Luke 18, verse number 12. First of all, he gives you a list of all the things he don't do. He said, uh, verse number 11, excuse me, brother. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I think that he am not as many of the men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. So he says, I don't do all this thing. I, I, I don't uh, uh, extort people for money. I, 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 I'm not unjust to anybody. I don't commit adultery. And I'm not like this old filthy publican that works for the Romans and collects everybody's tax money. Lord, I'm not like, I don't do all of this stuff. He thought... 
He was made right with God by what he don't do. But he also thought he was made right with God by what he did. Look at verse 12. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, to get the picture that Jesus is painting, you need to understand that under the Old Testament law, the Jew was only required to fast once a year on the Day of Atonement. This Pharisee says, I'm going to cut above everybody else. I'm going to fast not once a year, but twice a week. The Jew under the Old Testament law was only required to give tithes of 10% of their income. He says, I'm going to give tithes of everything I have. Do you see his mindset? He's deluded in thinking it's God's plan for him to be made right by what he did. There was a deluded man. And he was deluded about his prayer life. He was deluded about God's plan. And he was deluded about this publican. Let me tell you what makes me sick to my stomach. It's Christians who forget where they were when Jesus saved them. It's those type of people that turn others off to the gospel. See, what happens is a lot of times after we're saved for a little bit, we forget about where we were when Jesus found us. David said, Lord, I was in a horrible pit. My feet were stuck in the clay, in the mud. And you reached down into that horrible pit, raised me up, set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. I know what that brother's talking about in Psalm 40. I too was in a horrible pit. A pit with no peace. Don't you want peace? Ain't you tired of not having peace? Peace is found in knowing the Prince of Peace. I didn't have any peace. My life had no purpose. I lacked the joy of the Lord. I was just existing, not living. I was in that horrible pit. But God, through his loving mercy, reached down, picked me up, set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. What I never want to do is forget where I was when Jesus found me. Now, I'm not going to keep looking in the past. Because if you look in the past too long, it'll hinder your future. Amen? If you don't believe me, when you leave the parking lot this evening, drive home using the rearview mirror. That'll hinder your future. You can't keep staring into the past. You can't live in the past. What you have to do from time to time is glance back and say, thank you, Lord. I remember where I was. I remember who I was. And it's except by your grace, I'm still there. But a lot of times we forget that. And then we start looking down on others who are sinners like we used to be. Amen? And we get up on our spiritual high horse and we think, man, we got it all figured out. We, 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 we uh, uh, listen, push our chest out and throw our head back and now we're something and we're somebody. No, you're only who you are by the grace of God. 
I'm going to tell you something. I cannot look down on the drug addict because I myself, except by the grace of God, was there and would still be there. I cannot look down on the alcoholic for I myself, except by the grace of God, would still be there. I cannot look down on the one who lives the party lifestyle because I myself, except by the grace of God, would still be there. I can tell them there's a better way. I can tell them where they can find true peace, true purpose, and true joy. I can tell them Jesus is the answer. Amen? This Pharisee looked at this old publican and says, Lord, I'm not like him. The problem with the Pharisee is that he was looking around. He never looked in and he never looked up. Some people still do that, you know. They won't look around at everybody else because guess what? If they can find where somebody else is failing, it makes themselves feel, feel better about their sin. Amen? All of us can do that. Well, Lord, I may not be perfect, but I'm not as bad as he is. I'm not as bad as she is. No, quit looking around. I've come to find out that if I will take care of me, that takes up more than all my time. Take care of you. Don't look around. And make sure you look in and you look up. There was a desperate man there too and that's what he did. Look there in Luke 18. And the publican standing far off would not much as lift up his eyes into heaven but smote upon his breast saying, God be merciful to me a sinner. What's it mean when it says he, was, he stood afar off? He was too ashamed to come and stand in the place where the Pharisee was. Because he realized who he was. And he realized who God is. And he saw that God's perfect and holy and righteous and just and good. And then he looked at his own life and he said, man, I'm not. I'm not. Lord, I need your help. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I'm a sinner. He humbled himself and God heard his prayer. James chapter 4 and verse number 6. But he gives more grace. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that God is a God of grace? And he'll give you more of it. But let me tell you who gets more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, but what? Gives grace to the humble. Jesus said, that publican went down to his house justified, made right before God. And the other man didn't. You want me to tell you why? The Pharisee's pride kept him in his condition. 
And the publican's faith saved him. This, this morning, this is your invitation. I don't know where you're at with the Lord. I don't know what, you've, what decision you've made concerning Christ. But I can tell you this. We all need grace. Every one of us. Whether you're sitting on a church pew or you're lying in a gutter somewhere, we all need grace. We all need forgiveness. And the Bible says when you humble yourself, God will not resist you, but he'll give you just what you need. King David said it like this. He said that the Lord is near to those who have a broken and a contrite heart. If you're broken over sin this morning, God's near to you. If you're broken this morning because things just ain't worked out like you wanted to work out, God's near to you. If you're broken this morning because your plans have failed, God's near to you. If you're broken this morning because you don't understand, God's near to you. If you're broken this morning, God is saying, come. Just like you are. Do what the publican did. Realize who you are. And who God is. And ask for mercy. If you need to be saved today, I'd love to pray with you. I can't save you. But I can share with you in the word of God what it truly means to trust in Jesus. If you are saved but you need to come pray in this altar, this altar is a great place to get along with the Lord. Everybody stand together. This is your invitation. You'll be closing the service.